Hello, and welcome to another episode of Right Brain Rounds. Today, I have with me Dr. Amruti Bharad, and she is a family medicine physician, and I'll let her talk to you a little bit about what she actually does in San Diego, um, but it's pretty awesome. <laughs> and I had the opportunity to meet Dr. Bharad um, in San Diego um, quite a few months ago when I was down there for a conference. And so it's always so nice to connect in real life with people that you've met over the internet. I think we met over LinkedIn. And I really want to share everything that she's doing, um, especially for medical students in the realm of coaching and helping them through their careers. So thank you so much, Dr. Barad. It's very nice to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. And I had a great time seeing, meeting you in person as well. I, I agree. It's, in person is, is so different and I think crucial. And I think, you know, after the pandemic and everything like that, um, that connecting, making friendships and seeing people in person just means something totally different than it did prior to that, you know, experience. So, um, so wonderful to have you here today. So I just really want you to kind of go into how you became a physician and then also a physician coach and why your niche is working with medical students. Yeah, sure. So, um, why I went into medicine you know, I, it's funny because my parents, so my, you know, my parents are immigrants from India and of course, you know, you think stereotypically, you know, Indian parents want their kids to be a doctor. Um, but my parents, they actually tried to steer me away from, from medicine, not necessarily steer me away, but, you know, keep an open mind, you know, do you really want to go into medicine? It's, you know, it's a very challenging profession. And so I, you know, to appease them, I met with a lot of different friends that they have in different professions, um, but medicine really spoke to me. So I stuck with it. And um, I really, you know, science was always my strong subject in school, uh, but I also really liked having, you know, deeper one-to-one -one connections with people. And it just made sense for me to kind of marry those two. And um, I wasn't a good test taker. So I decided to apply to combined programs where you go to college for three years, sometimes two years, um, and then you transfer directly into a medical school. So like there's not so much focus on the standardized test. Um, so I applied to a bunch of those schools and I also applied to a bunch of normal colleges. And I told myself, like, if I get into one of these combined programs, it's meant to be. So I ended up getting into three of the programs um, and, you know, visited the schools many times. And I ended up choosing uh, Pitzer College, which is one of the Claremont Colleges in Southern California and Western University of Health Sciences, which is in Pomona. And it's an osteopathic medical school. And I chose it because it was an osteopathic school. I didn't know anything about that. Um, and I kind of did my research you know, talk to friends who are in similar programs. And I visited the school a few times. And I just felt like I really appreciated how, you know, it's like a whole picture approach, you know, thinking really about how is the structure of the body related to the function of the body, and then being able to learn techniques where you can really treat, um, you know, usually it's chronic pain, like chronic musculoskeletal 
pain, but also a lot of other ailments. And at the time, um, I guess I'll try, you know, alternative forms of therapy were growing. That was about the time when that was happening. So I figured, you know, I think by the time I graduate, this will be something important. Um, and it will actually be something that's like an extra tool in my toolbox. So I decided to go through the program. Um, of course, I went through many periods of self-doubt, you know, going through college. A few times I thought I would quit um, because it was just so hard and seeing everybody in college, you know, having a great time and you're trying to shrink everything into three years. But really glad I stuck with it. Um, started medical school. Uh, and when I started, you know, I was much younger than the average student there. My school just happened to be older students. So a lot of them have had um, previous careers. Um, and so there was just a lot of self-doubt, like, am I good enough? And I think a lot of medical students go through that. And um, about my third year of medical school is when I thought about le like seriously leaving and becoming um, a teacher. I wanted to be an elementary school teacher. That was something else that was always in the back of my mind. And it was a mentor that just sent me one, you know, I sent her an email, she sent me one email back um, and it just changed my mind and I stayed. So the importance of having, you know, that mentorship was really um, important to me. And then I was deciding between specialties and I thought I was gonna do neurology. Um, you know, I'm a very detail oriented person. I found it very fascinating. I did um, neurology, like epilepsy research when I was back in high school. And I did one rotation and it just felt like there's no way that I could do this. It wasn't curative, it was very research-based. I just didn't feel like I was connecting with people. And family medicine and pediatrics were kind of the other two that were in the back of my mind. And so once I did all my rotations, I realized like family medicine was it because there's so much, there's a lot of um, continuity of relationships and it's very preventative. And it's also very flexible and you can do a lot with a primary care, um, being a primary care doctor. So that's what I chose. And at the time, the MD and DO match system was separate. And as of late, I think last year, 2022, they'd finally combine them, which I think is great. Um, but then you had to decide, are you gonna do the DO path or are you gonna do the MD path? And at the time I had a lot of friends, including myself, we took both sets of board exams to be competitive because at the time, you know, being a DO, trying to get into an MD program, apparently, you know, they sometimes they look down on you because you're a DO and that still happens. So I ended up deciding, nope, I'm just gonna try to apply to the MD programs because I felt like they were um, the stronger programs at the time for family medicine. So I took a chance, I did that, um, and I ended up um, at UCLA for family medicine training. And I loved it. I loved academic medicine. So I stayed there. Um, I taught at the medical school. I taught, you know, in my clinic. And then um, I ended up getting married. And that's why I left that job. And um, we weren't really sure where we were going to move. We thought maybe we'd move to um, Nashville for a while. So I ended up looking at, um, you know, programs out there. And then we decided to move to San Diego. And at the time, they didn't have any academic positions available. So I ended up um, moving on to um, kind of like, it was still at UC San Diego, but they were building like a private practice type model where your focus is patient care. And, you know, I thought this is my chance to do something different. You know, maybe academics isn't my whole life. 
So I ended up joining them and I actually really enjoyed it. There's something, you know, different about just focusing on one thing. And so I did that for um, about five years or so. And during that time, I um, was our COVID lead physician when COVID came around. And that's when I really um, burnt out for the first time. And not that I wanted to leave medicine. It was just like, oh my goodness, like this is too much. You know, I was working every single day, seven days a week for almost a year, right? So I think anybody would feel really burnt out. And I ended up, um, you know, it was a friend that pointed it out to me actually that, oh, you don't look that great. Like what's going on? And I already knew it, but I was trying to keep it a secret. <laughs> and you just, there's some things you can't hide. So I really reached that point of burnout of the, the emotional exhaustion piece of it. So I ended up um, backing off the COVID work the, the best that I could. Um, and then, you know, we kind of got some relief after the surges were happening. And I was promoted to our um, clinic medical director. And then shortly after that, our wellness director for our department. And I really enjoyed that work. And I actually went, found a physician coach in my um, department. And I didn't, um, I just read about it. You know, I wasn't really sure if it was going to help me, but I really wanted to be a good leader. And I had never been in a position where I was doing two different leadership positions at the same time. And so I decided, you know, I met with her and we clicked. So she really helped me work around all the things that come with leadership, where it's the same thing, a lot of self-doubt. Um, and then you're also managing other people. You know, how do you build a team? I was never someone who liked to tell people, you know, you need to do this. It was, for me, it was very important to be collaborative. Um, so that helped me a lot. But then I went through a second phase of burnout because the patient volume um, rose significantly and there was not enough support. It was just like, you were just running a mill. You weren't really developing any relationships with people. You were just referring out when you really didn't need to. Um, and to do all of that and then try to do leadership, it was just too hard. Um, and the leadership is what really brought me purpose. So that's when my wheels started turning. I'm like, there must be something else. And so I started, um, I went to like a passive real estate conference or not conference, but I took a class and I took like a short-term rental class because it seemed like people um, who were on the trajectory of not necessarily leaving medicine, but trying to figure out how can I balance my life? Um, a lot of them were doing real estate. So I took those courses and I went, I did go to a conference where it was physicians doing all kinds of different things outside of medicine or within medicine, but it was very innovative. And so it just, it really helped me build like a perspective that there is other things I can do besides this nine to five clinic work. Um, and I, around that times when I really thought like medicine was not right for me anymore. And so that I knew it was a problem. And so with my coach, she really helped me, um, you know, essentially realize that, no, I really love clinical medicine. I actually do, do like patient care, but there has to be another way and to admit it to my boss. And so that was the hardest part. And I think most people for them, it's they don't have, you know, a lot of them have bosses who wouldn't understand, right? And I felt lucky that I had been working with my boss very closely. Um, I know that he's an understanding person. 
Um, but I was still terrified. I think I like, I threw up, you know, before we actually met <laughs> and, um, you know, I just told him like, I can't do this. Like, this is not going to happen. And I, I I'd already had a plan. The plan was, okay, I'm going to tell you I'm burnt out and this is what I need. And I think that's really important to know what, you know, have a solution. So my solution was I need to go somewhat part-time, but I still want to be a leader. So they did allow me to do that for about six months, but then it was like, okay, you get your six months of recovery and then you're back to full-time or you can go, you know, what we call 80% um, or 0.8 FTE. And then you can't be a leader. And I knew neither of those were going to work for me. So I, I continued to ask you know, every month. It was the same you know, question like, are you sure? Are you sure I can't keep doing this? Because once you get the taste of the part-time life, it's really hard to go back. Exactly. Um, so, you know, I started looking into other jobs. I found a group that um, really actually allows their leadership positions to be part-time. Um, so, you know, and that was just the path for me at that point. That's what I wanted to do. So I resigned um, and then very last minute, I got this opportunity to work with um, UCSD's concierge practice, um, which at the time I knew it existed. I just didn't know much about it. I had a lot of um, stigma against concierge medicine. I had heard about it in the past. I thought it was celebrity medicine, you know, or you'd have to be on all the time. So um, I wasn't sure if that was what I wanted to do, but something just, I just felt like, okay, maybe I should just figure out what, what it's like. So I went and I ended up um, meeting with the medical director there and basically just described my dream job. And I ended up taking it and I've been there part-time for almost a year now. And I really enjoy it. Um, you know, smaller patient panels, being able to spend a lot of time with my patients, have, I have very good support from staff, um, and our advanced practice providers. Um, so it, it for me, it, it ended up working out really well. And I felt like this was the way to practice. And um, in this particular environment, this particular group, you're not really, you're on, but you're not, I never felt like I'm getting called all the time. We share call on the weekends. So it was just a really good fit. It's, and it's a great clinic. Um, and it's nice to be attached to a big university, right? So it's a strange hybrid where you're not your own private practice, um, but you're linked to a big university with specialists and, and good support. Um, and, it, and it allowed me, being able to be there part-time has allowed me to then become a coach myself. And I chose to do that because I had a coach who helped me in so many different ways, right? Leadership, then burnout. And it really helped me in my personal life. And then um, I decided to certify myself. So I went through the life coach school, which is the one that my coach went through. And I chose it because it spoke to me. It's very, it's almost like cognitive behavioral therapy in a sense, like the way that, um, that you're trained. And, and I felt like it just spoke to me. So I went through that training um, and I started my first business um, not that long ago, back in February and my original intention was just to work with attending physicians who um, went through what I did. And I wanted to figure out a way like to help them stay in medicine. Like there are ways to stay in medicine 
where you can still serve the people you want to serve, um, but have a balanced life and c- focus more on prevention of burnout because there's a lot of things I could have done, um, particularly, you know, speaking up and asking for help um, and letting certain things go, not trying to be such a perfectionist um, that would have allowed me to probably stay where I was previously. And so that was kind of my goal. And then I ended up um, meeting with some medical students at a random like conference meeting. And I realized that they really need help. You know, there's, there was a lack of mentorship. They, a lot of them said, yeah, we like peer support, but we also want support from someone who's already done everything, you know, has already been through everything. And so then my focus shifted onto students and I was trying to figure out, you know, how can I reach um, a large number of students? So I felt that like a conference or a summit would be a good way to do that. And so I hosted a virtual summit um, just a few months ago. And I focused on a few different things. Like I wanted to focus on things that students really want right now. And what I wanted as a student, which was how do I manage my time? You know, um, how do I take care of myself? Um, How do I choose my specialty? Like, these are things that are at the top of mind. But I also wanted to um, show students that there's life beyond that and that medicine is not just clinic or hospital, which is what I thought. And um, I think a lot of students have thought that in the past before the pandemic, which has brought to light so many other things. Um, So I focused the other half of the summit on, you know, what is the business of medicine? Do you really need a business degree? And if you know, how do you, um, what are all the different options in medicine? Can you, you can um, do research, you can be a consultant, you can be an expert witness. Um, how do you deal with your student debt? You know, how do you have a financial plan beyond just worrying about your debt, right? There there needs to be structure to that. And so I, I ended up interviewing 10 um, physician experts in these different realms, Um and I really enjoyed it. I think it was great to meet a lot of these people that I had only met through social media and um, being able to um, have a longer conversation with them and really share their medical school journey. And funny enough, like a lot of them, you know, um, weren't really experts in the in their field at the time, especially um, um, the person I spoke with for um, financial advice and planning and student debt management, Dr. Jimmy Turner. He like he said he was terrible with money, you know, and then now is like an expert in his field so that there is like you can really do anything if you have enough passion for it. um, And if you just put your mind to it. And I think medical students sometimes forget that they're resourceful. Like that's so important to remember, you know, like you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know how to do everything. And it's, it's just so important to be adaptable. That's the whole purpose of medical school is that I'm going to learn to be a lifelong, you know, we call it lifelong learner, but really to be adaptable because medicine is changing all the time, constantly. You've been through this. I've been through this. Everybody has. And if you just stay, you know, stagnant and think, okay, only what I learned, you know, in this class is going to be what it is. You're just not going to, you're kind of doing a disservice to, to your patients. Um, So that's, that's kind of how I came came to medical students and I'm um, sorry, I feel like I'm talking a lot. <laughs> it's all good. 
<laughs> but that that's all. <laughs> you know, I really would love it if um is your uh, virtual summit has that been recorded? Is there a way for people to look back and see what all that included? Yeah, it was recorded. Okay. Um, and we've been our recordings were we sell them for like ten dollars. Oh, okay. You know, um, very, very. I wanted to make it very affordable for students. Um, and they all you have to do is go to my website and um, there's like a button you hit and you can actually look at um, like what the talks were and who the speakers were so that if you, you know, just so you know, like what you're, you know, looking at and if it's, if it's something that speaks to you, um, then you can purchase that. And then um, what happens is I end up sending you several resources send you all the speaker information if you want to reach out to the certain speakers based on the topics um so yeah i mean if <clears throat> i just wanted to make it accessible in some way we'll have to put that in the show notes um after the interview um just so yeah. we'll know how to get in contact with you and check out that virtual summit if they want to do that you know after it's been you know, completed. So that that's awesome. I, I want to ask you <laughs> a question because I know that a lot of people have gone through burnout mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't know exactly what that means until they're in the midst of it or are going through it and really having a hard time. Um, admitting it is very tough in a medical career. Um, mainly due to cultural reasons, like the medical culture, I think, you know, we don't want to admit that we're, you know, feeling imposter feelings or um, burned out or not able to do the job that we have trained for so long to do. Um, But I'm kind of interested in what your mentor said in that email when you were a third year medical student that, you know, just made you say, oh, you know what, maybe I'll just keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So one thing is she was my, um, she wasn't, I don't think, actually I'm thinking back. I don't think she was assigned to me as a mentor, but she was one of our teachers, our professors and just a very kind person. There's something about her personality, very approachable. um, And she was the person that the first person that I emailed about it. Mm -hmm. And you know, I told her what my plan was. I said, you know, I think I don't belong here. I need to, I think I really want to go back to school and be a teacher. That was my, one of my um, possible jobs I was thinking of before I went to medical school. Um, How do I do that? And she was like, wait, wait, wait. (laughs) She's like, let's slow down. You're a third year medical student. You're about, you're so close. You're so close to being done. You've worked very hard. You were in this accelerated program for a reason. So you do belong here. Um, and if you really, you know, are thinking, I want to be a teacher, like, have you ever thought about being a professor for a medical school? Yeah. Right. And I, I don't know why that thought didn't cross my mind. <laughs> I think when you're just so like, ah, I have to leave, like, this is not going to work. Um, but you have a summit for medical students to tell them what all their options are in medicine now, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I I really think it was just, it was the, you belong here and, and the, you have other options as a physician 
And I mean, being a professor, I mean, that should have been an obvious thing in my mind, but it wasn't. Sure. Um, but just knowing that I had another option. And then after that, like I realized, you know, that that's the other mistake a lot of students, residents, physicians make. And I'm seeing that a lot is when you start to burn out, you think, oh, I'm just going to leave and it's going to be fine without a plan. Um, because you see on social media, all these people, you know, that are doing just fine. They, you know, they have their story of leaving medicine and they're very successful, but there was a lot that happened from the time they left to what they are now. Um, and it's not to be said that it can't be done, but it's something just to keep in mind that social media has kind of changed the way people view what they're doing. Um, and to know like before, you know, as a student or a resident, before you think about just leaving your program, you know, you, you really want to talk to somebody and figure out another way because one, uh, I think a lot of people don't realize that having a medical degree provide, you know, you automatically are providing a lot of value to society. Um, and, you know, it, it, it gives you a lot of credibility to have that degree, um, whether you're going to use it or not, but you've come so far, you know, let's figure out a way where, you know, you can stay and make it work for you. And sometimes it doesn't, but just, you know, just leaving is, I don't think is the right answer because you haven't spoken to anybody. You don't know what you're going to do. There's a lot of pieces between leaving and then becoming successful at something else. So I think that's also really important. I, I think you have to look at it almost like a differential diagnosis. Like, you know, here I am, yeah. I'm in medicine yeah. And I'm either burned out or I, I don't enjoy what I'm doing. I'm really stressed. You know, what are my options? You know, what, what kind of solutions are there for me to either one, keep me in medicine or, you know, maybe transfer my abilities, which are, you know, highly functional in society and needed, you know, to a different way of helping patients or helping colleagues, um, you know, maybe non-clinical or teaching, like you were saying. Um, I mean, there's so many options. And I think a lot of our younger students now are, are really realizing that. But then, you know, having a plan, like you said, you know, like financially, I, I know one of um, my colleagues who I studied with in my first year of medical school left after that first year um, just decided it was not for her. And I was like, you know what, what would I even do in my life that would pay off all of the medical school debt that I had, you know, at that point in time, you know, what would I do as a career that would even pay that off? Like, so these golden handcuffs are the things that keep people in jobs that they don't enjoy or that, you know, are burning them out. And so, you know, I, I love hearing that you're talking about finances with medical students and, you know, ways that they can, you know, maybe supplement their income as a new attending, um, you know, with something other than medicine, or maybe, you know, that they don't have to have a business degree to do well in business because they're smart. They can figure this stuff out, you know, you got through medical school. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that, I mean, that's why I like um, coaching students like one-on-one um, because there's so much going on in their mind um, and really trying to, to help them realize that a lot of what's going on is just what you're thinking about. It's not really fact. Um, you know, there's so much more you can do and, and really, um, you know, to your point, defining the difference between what what is your professional identity and what is your personal identity? Like you're a musician, you know? Mm-hmm. So like knowing that, okay, yes, maybe I don't want to be a full-time physician, but exactly what you're saying is figure out something else that you have a passion about that can supplement that income. And that figuring out that passion does help you realize that, oh, I'm not just a doctor, you know, I'm a musician or whatever it may be, you know? Um, so I, I really appreciate um, that part of it. And I'm actually building a digital course now for students um, to kind of based off because I did this summit and I realized, you know, I want to continue that work. So um, really, I, I basically am surveying students, like, what would you actually want to learn about? And, um, you know, this would be a self-paced course. It would be on different topics. You know, it probably would be, you know, no more than six weeks, but no one's like, you know, holding you to doing it all, you know, in a row. It's, it's just at your own pace and just really helping you prevent that burnout, um, you know, realizing when am I feeling so exhausted When am I starting to feel like I'm not good enough? When am I starting to feel like, you know, cynical, really? You know, why am I doing this? It doesn't matter anyway. Those are the really the symptoms of burnout. And if you can just catch that before you go down this bad, you know, this dark alley, um, that that would be, you know, a great path towards staying in medicine and really figuring it out and, um, you know, the biggest concern, of course, is all the the physician stu- student suicide that continues to happen. Um, and, you know, it, to me, I sometimes think like how many healthcare professionals have to do that for uh, organizations to understand that this is a real problem. It's an occupational hazard. I mean, when you really look at yeah. it and, you know, what other professions have that suicide rate. I mean, it just, it's really, you know, sad. And I, I know even when I started medical school in 1999, um, we were in our orientation and the Dean of my medical school came up to the front and was talking to all of us and said, you know, look around a lot of you who are married, you're going to be divorced by the end of of all this. (laughs) And then she said, look around you know, some of your colleagues are going to be lost to suicide and a lot of you are going to be sued. And I was like, none of that's going to happen to me. I was this young, optimistic medical student. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as the years progressed and you go through residency and all of your training programs, boards, litigation and medicine, you know, those types of things, um, you, you look back at that and say, there's a lot of truth to, to those things. And it's unfortunate that there's not someone, I mean, we're, we're trying in our field, but that, you know, coaches like you out there helping people, like, you know, these students need to know that you're there and, 
you know, this work really matters, you know, to keep people in our professions. I mean, people need physicians and, you know, we're losing them. So, you know, to, to help people deal with things that we know statistically are going to happen, you know, that this is very important work. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, you know, yes, I actually had, I, I, you know, I knew so many people who went through divorce, marriage, kids, miscarriage, you know, substance abuse, um, you know, new psychiatric disorders, all that, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And there are ways to treat and prevent those things. Um, so it's, it's when I was a student as well, it was the same thing. Like, you know, look to your left, look to your right. I mean, how effective is that? It's not effective. <laughs> like the scare tactic is not effective. It should be, how are we going to prevent these things from happening? This is what we have in place for you to support you. Um, yeah. Cause there was no solution yeah. back then. I mean, it was just like, these are the dark parts of medicine and yeah. you know, here's a coach like that, that would have been awesome. Or here, here's a way that you can help yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, not yeah. Like, you want people to be self, like be able to take care of themselves. Like that's the whole goal is that we teach you how to take care of yourself, that you're not reliant on somebody else, you know, for the rest of your life to do that for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm just willing to venture out there and say that most people have experienced burnout in some fashion in medicine, you know, whether or not it's early in their career and they recognize it um, or mid-career, you know, or so, you know, prominent towards the end of their career that they retire early, you know, it's kind of one of those things that, you know, I think leads to um potential thoughts of suicidality and you know those things that are you know definitely have been proven to be a problem in our field so yeah i think people just don't it's just it's not labeled you know yeah. or people don't want to label it but i i absolutely agree i think as a human being there's no way you didn't experience even a little bit throughout your training i just don't think it's possible and then yeah. another point you said human beings, like, you know, sometimes I, I feel like doctors are put, you know, to a different standard of being, you know, superhuman, you know, like psychiatric disease doesn't happen to, you know, physicians or substance abuse or, you know, domestic violence or, you know, things that happen every day, all day, people that we take care of you know, for, for these things, addictions, um, yet, you know, physicians are human and they have emotion and, you know, expecting them to not deal with it or be secretive about it or not, you know, ask for help, um, is another thing that I just, you know, have really struggled with in our field, you know, to make it known that yes, people have the same ailments as our patients do. So why, can't we reach out and treat them and give them the same compassion that we give to our patients? Yeah, exactly. We're held to a different standard. Um, a, yeah, a completely different standard. And you have, you know, you're supposed to have this bleeding heart and, you know, you already make too much money. So don't ask for more money and work all these extra hours and, you know, don't sleep. 
and just put everything else, you know, on the back burner. And, you know, I'm happy to see that those things are changing. It's just slowly. And, you know, when you're in the coaching world, you think things are getting better because that's what you're seeing. That's what you're working on. Um, but I think there's so much more room for, you know, improvement in that, in that area, especially because there's just, there's so many medical schools out there, so many residency programs that we don't know what's going on. Um, it's just the ones that we're working with, we see improvement. Well, I love your mission and what you're doing and how you're fostering support, um, for our younger colleagues in medicine. And I just want to ask you one more thing, just you know, to close this out, but what, what's the biggest piece of advice that you would give to medical students who are maybe struggling? Yeah, I think, I think the most important thing is that you really need to ask for help. I think, um, a lot of people get scared. They're worried about what people are going to think. Um, you know, they go over and over in their mind, like, is this really a problem? I don't know if it's a problem. But if you're feeling, you know, any sense of burnout or feeling like you're alone or you feel like you're not good enough, um, which are all very um, prominent thoughts that most medical students go through, you just want to ask for help. And that can just that could simply mean you're going to talk to your family, your friends, your colleagues first, where you feel it's safer um, and then moving on to your schools. And I think if your school has support systems in place, which most of them do now, you want to utilize those, you know, and that they're, they are considered confidential. Um, and of course, if you're feeling suicidal, you want to know what your resources are for that as well. You know, calling um, 988, which is the free confidential suicide hotline. Um, just just knowing that you you want to ask for help because if you don't, it's just going to get worse. Um, and all we want is for you to feel better and to be able to you know progress successfully in your life um, and know that you are enough, that you are worth, you are worthy, um, just as you are. So ask for help. That's that would be my biggest piece of advice. That's excellent. And, you know, I think stepping out there and having the courage to ask for help is the first step. So really encouraging our younger colleagues to do that is exactly what they need to hear. So I am so happy that you're out there to support our younger colleagues and that we were able to talk today. And I really enjoyed your story and um, your life's mission. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.